baby that's tired. If a parent mistakes tiredness for hunger, the parent's well-intentioned attempts to help the baby totally backfire, resulting in greater distress and frustration for both parent and baby. This is how coping works. We may be doing things to help ourselves, right? We're very well-intentioned, but we fail to recognize how our attempts to help ourselves are mismatched with our needs. So we want to change that today. We are going to help you target your coping for more effectiveness. What does it mean to love and work well? And how do I pursue what truly matters? Working at the intersection of business and psychology, I help you answer these questions and more so you can focus priorities, inspire change, lead with courage, and live with more joy today. Hi, I'm Dr. Melissa Smith. Welcome to the Pursue What Matters podcast, where we focus on what it takes to thrive in love and work. So hopefully you joined me last week where I gave you a primer on your brain on stress. So we talked about uh, three keys to understanding the brain. We talked about the four regions of the brain and some of their basic functions. We talked about why that matters, right? Because understanding what's happening in your brain can help you better integrate stress and cope effectively for greater resilience and well-being. And then we also talked about the tree of regulation and how inputs from our body and from the world work together with these core neural uh, regulatory networks to really work towards getting our body back to equilibrium after facing a stressor. And so it's really helpful to understand the brain-body connection as it has such a big impact on our functioning and our well-being. And so when you better understand this connection, you can better help yourself. So, you know, I get geeky about stress. I think stress has gotten a bad rap um, and it's important to remember that stress is an essential and positive part of normal development. So it's how we learn, how we master new skills, and how we build um, resilience. And so, um, if you haven't, uh, if you haven't listened to last week's podcast, I would recommend that um, because it really goes through how the brain is organized and how your brain communicates with the body. Um, and so today, we're going to focus on what makes the difference in determining if stress is positive or destructive to your health, right? Because I've just made the case that, um, and I talk about it all the time, that stress is not a problem, but it certainly can be. And that really depends on how we make sense of the stress and what we do to help ourselves in the face of stress. And so the key here today is looking at the pattern of our stress. Um, and every week with the podcast, my goal is to help you pursue what matters by strengthening your confidence to lead um, in, in one of three areas. So leading with clarity, connect, and that helps you to connect with purpose. Leading with curiosity, which is all about developing self-awareness and self-reflection, which is what we're really focusing on today and then leading and building a community, which is where we really think about those leadership and communication skills to help us lead well. Um, and so again, today, primarily we're focusing on leading with curiosity, developing good self-awareness to understand what's happening in your body so that you can help yourself. And so let's start, um, we're going to talk about three key points today. And so the first point is 
looking at your pattern of stress. So what is your pattern of stress? Um, and so a lot of what I'm talking about today comes from the work of Dr. Bruce D. Perry. Now, this is covered in his book with Oprah Winfrey um, entitled What Happened to You. So it's a really great resource. I think the way that he speaks about uh, trauma and stressors and resilience is really very helpful. So the question, right, do you understand your pattern of stress? Do you know what predictably sets you off when it comes to life's challenges? Um, and do you know predictably what can help you settle down after facing a stressor? Um, again, remembering that stress is a normal part of life, but the long-term effects of stress really depend on your pattern of stress activation. And, and so there are two, two patterns of stress activation that we really want to pay attention to. The first one is an unpredictable pattern of activation. Of course, the second one is a predictable pattern of activation. And so let's first look at this unpredictable um, activation of the stress response system. So as you might imagine, this isn't very good for us. So when the stress response system is activated in unpredictable, extreme, or prolonged ways, the systems become overactive and overly reactive. And so in a word, I want you to think about your stress response system becomes sensitized. So the sensitized stress response system over time leads to functional vulnerability. It reaches all parts of the brain and body, and there's a cascade of risk in our emotional health, our social health, our mental health, and our physical health. And so when our stress response system becomes sensitized through unpredictable, extreme, and prolonged um, activation, that's where we really start to look at uh, significant risks from stress. So what happens with this sensitized stress response is that it leads to more sensitization over time, which means you, over time, you become more vulnerable to the effects of stressors. Of course, we don't want that for you. So that's, you know, we'll, we're going to talk about what to do about that, but that's unpredictable activation. And then the second form of activation is predictable activation. So as you might guess, this is something that's that's positive and can be managed. So stress response systems activated in predictable, moderate, and controllable ways, such as what you see in developmentally appropriate challenges in education, sport, music, work, all of that leads to stronger, more flexible stress response capability. This leads to tolerance instead of sensitization, right, um, over time. So it leads to tolerance over time, which means you are more resilient in the face of stressors. And so in a very real way, you get better at stress, which is a topic that I have talked about before on the podcast. So this is really the path to resilience. And so just, you know, recognizing that, you know, do you, do you seem to have an unpredictable activation pattern or a predictable activation? And then, you know, what does this mean? <laughs> uh, and the truth is that none of us have perfect control over our patterns of stress, right? The truth is bad things happen. Trauma is a thing. We face big challenges all the time that stretch us and really force us to respond, um, and so if you recognize that you might have some features of this unpredictable activation where it's like, gosh, you feel really fragile in the face of stress, um, look at, we want to look at what you can do to bring more predictability 
to a situation. Um, sometimes that is through your breathing, right? Sometimes that is through, you know, holding your hands together. That Those activities bring comfort, bring calm. They access the various regions of your brain to help to bring bring about equilibrium and regulation, even in the face of um, an unpredictable activation. And so we want to think about how we can bring more predictability to the situation. And this is where coping skills come in to help us make sense of the senseless. Um, we want to connect to others who may be able to bring perspective. Um, we want to get to safety to avoid additional harm. And we want to understand that threat to normalcy um, and get professional help, especially if it's a prolonged activation. Um, and so when, you know, we can't necessarily save, save ourselves from unpredictable activation because life happens, right? Like we get in car accidents, we get in arguments, but we want to think about how you can bring more predictability to the situation. And that is through your use of coping skills, perspective, um, love and connection and support. And then when it comes to predictable activation, we want you to embrace challenges, right? So do hard things, take on challenges that move you to growth in predictable, moderate, and controllable ways. And so when we think about predictable, right, you can anticipate what may be involved in a season of soccer, right? That, yeah, it's going to be challenging and you can't anticipate everything. But generally speaking, we kind of know what the season is going to look like in terms of time commitment, uh, game schedule, that sort of thing. We also want predictable activation that's moderate. So we want challenges that are in keeping with your developmental level. So we don't want you jumping off a cliff if you're not ready for that. Um, this is really important when it comes to kids. So we want to stretch kids, but we want that to be within their window of development so that it is a stretch, but there's a reasonable assurance that they can have success. Uh, because if we're giving them extreme challenges um, where there's a high likelihood of failure. That really undermines the healthy development of self-worth and self-efficacy. So we want to be careful about that. We also want to think about that with ourselves as adult, right? Think about moderate challenges. And I think this is where really having a good understanding of yourself and where you're at in space and time can make a big difference because we're not always up to the same challenges that we face at other times, right? We have risk factors and we have protective factors, right? So we have vulnerability factors and protective factors. And, you know, depending on, you know, the challenges that, that, um, you're currently facing, you may not want to add another big one to your plate because that might um, throw you out of your window of tolerance and, and you know, really undermine your stress coping and lead to more of the unpredictable activation and the sensitization than tolerance. So we do want to respect where we're at at a given place and time. And then, you know, another way, so we think about um, predictable, moderate, and controllable. So when it comes to controllable activation, we think about having a framework of support, boundaries, and intervention to ensure that a stressor doesn't overwhelm. So we think about, you know, let's think about our soccer example, right? There's a framework of support, boundaries, there are rules, there's an association, there are coaches, there are parents, so that, you know, if someone's going to extreme, we have a support system that helps to bring that 
that back into line uh, alignment, right? And we have some control in that so that, you know, the soccer can be beneficial and not just um, overwhelming in, in terms of that stress impact. And so those are ways that we can help ourselves with our with predictability around activation. And then the last thing that I want to talk about um, is three R's to help you cope effectively with stress. And again, this comes to us. There are some resources here from Dr. Perry. So as we talk about the three R's, this is really where understanding brain structure and organization helps you to help yourself and others when stress activation systems are lighting up. So everything we talked about last week, we're really going to be applying here. So when you are struggling to cope with stress, it's important to start with the basics. So I want you to think about the base of the brain. So last week I talked about imagining the brain as an upside down triangle in your head, right? And at the top of the triangle, right, the base of the triangle at the very top of your head is where we have the higher order functioning, right? That's the cortex. And then moving down, we have the limbic, and then we have the diencephalon, and then we have the brainstem. And And so when you're struggling to cope with stress, we want to start with basics. The basics are at the base of the brain, right? Those simpler, more automatic functions, because if you try to intervene at a higher level, right? So let's say you've just been challenged by a big stressor and you you or someone else comes in and tries to reason with you. You know, you really shouldn't be that upset about it. It's not that big of a deal. In five years, you're not going to care about this. Let me tell you that will backfire. You will only become more dysregulated. Okay. And so this leads to the incoming in Input from our brain and our surroundings being short-circuited, and it results in inefficient, distorted input to the cortex, right? We don't want that. We want accurate information getting to the cortex. Um, but when we misalign or mismatch um, our coping with our level of activation, we really run the risk of this. And so, you know, we have these inputs that become distorted. And when it reaches your cortex, because those inputs are distorted, we have poor problem solving, right? And that contributes to our stress activation system becoming sensitized, where we become less effective at coping with stress. And so this is known as the sequence of engagement. And so this is what Dr. Perry talks about. And it's really important to take, it's the idea that it's really important to take care of first things first with our basic functions at the base of the brain before trying to process stress with the more advanced functions at the top of the brain. And so this is where we're going to talk about the three R's. So the first R is regulate. The second R is relate. And the third R is reason. Now, I want you to picture that upside down triangle that we talked about last week. Regulate happens in the at the bottom of the brain where we have that upside down triangle. So this is where um, we're thinking about the brainstem and the diencephalon. That's where we're working to regulate. And if you think about the functions of those parts of the brain, that makes total sense. So it's cardiac, temperature, respiration, um, It's sleep, it's arousal, it's appetite, it's movement. And so that's that makes a lot of sense that we're focusing first on regulate. And then second, um, once we're regulated, right, we move to relate, which moves us up. 
um, in the brain to the limbic region. So if you remember, the limbic region is all about memory and emotion, reward system, bonding, attachment, connection. So relate makes a lot of sense um, in terms of the limbic system. And we think about relate, we think about connection, we think about soothing, we think about comfort and empathy um, from others and ourselves. And then the third R is reason. And this is where we get to that highest level of functioning in the brain at the top of the brain, the cortex, right? The base of the triangle. And so this is where after we've had some regulation, after we've been able to receive some comfort, it makes a lot of sense to bring in some reasoning. We're more prepared for that. This is where we can examine the stories we're telling ourselves. This is where we can bring in perspective. This is where we can bring in empathy for others who maybe even have harmed us, which that can feel like a stretch. Um, And so don't rush it, but that can be helpful that you bring in your higher order executive functioning to help you make sense of what happened. It doesn't mean it should have happened. It doesn't mean, you know, that we absolve people of their responsibility, but this is absolutely designed to help you cope, to help you bring your brain and your body back into equilibrium so that you don't have this chronic uh, heightened stress response. And so, you know, if you don't have some regulation on board, it's really difficult to connect with another person. Um, And without connection, there's minimal reasoning. So these three R's really work together, but we have to respect first things first, that is regulate, relate, and then reason. So the sequence really matters and it will help your coping efforts become more effective and efficient over time because you can ask yourself, what do I need here? And sometimes it's like, okay, well, I'm not breathing or I've got really shallow breaths or my head is killing me and I recognize that that's a sign that I'm taking really shallow breaths. You're gonna target regulation immediately. Um, And if you're not sure, start with regulation. Um, That is always a safe bet. Um, And so any kind of effective therapy, education, training, coaching, parenting, anything that we do in life like that requires awareness of and adherence to the sequence of engagement. Remember my example at the top of the podcast when we talk about a tired baby and if a parent does not have awareness and um, adherence to that sequence of engagement, you know, mom or dad might try and stuff some food into a tired baby's mouth and it leads to more dysregulation, more upset for for all involved. And so, you know, these are really basic skills that sometimes we overlook. And I think, you know, some of these we attune to naturally, which is really great. But I think when it comes to our own coping, um, if we're not careful, we can overlook the importance of this sequence in helping ourselves. Um, And so, you know, just another example, we think about a toddler throwing a tantrum, right? If you try to start with reasoning with them during a tantrum, like, tell me how that goes, right? Like, that's not going to go well at all, right? Both parties become more dysregulated, upset, and the meltdown intensifies. So instead of moving straight to reasoning, um, like like an adult with executive functioning on board would maybe be inclined to do, um, and let me tell you, the 
more educated and the smarter you are as a parent, the more likely you are to go to reasoning. And, you know, the toddler will let you know how effective that is. It's not. It's totally ineffective. So instead, we want to take care of first things first. So we think about this toddler with a meltdown. Let's help you breathe. Settle down the heart rate. Let's take a time out. Now, it's really important with time outs. Like, I think these are a great tool for all of us, um, young or old. Um, it's important that the time out is not seen as punishment, but it's really seen as just what I say, a time out. It's a chance for everyone to just calm down, collect themselves, slow down their breathing. This is such an excellent tool for facilitating regulation. So I used to tease, I still tease about it, um, that, you know, when life got challenging, you know, I got three kids making all sorts of demands of me, um, lots of demanding work. Um, what I would say is like, I have a three door barrier in my closet where it's like, I can close three doors and have a little time out for myself, right? So whether that's, you know, crying in the fetal position or working on breathing or just feeling frustrated, right? We all need a time out um, from time to time to calm down. And so, you know, having having a place and space for that. I have a timeout space in my office. That might sound really weird, but it's not. It's so helpful because I know when I go to that particular spot in my office, I'm trying to help myself regulate. I'm trying to slow down. I'm really focused on breathing and slowing myself down so that I can then think clearly through a situation. Um, and so, right, if we go back to this toddler, once we have the regulation, right? So once maybe kiddo and parent have both had a timeout and um, are more regulated, then you can move to that second R, which is relate. So maybe mom or dad can say, boy, I understand why you were so upset. You know, you were excited to go play in the sprinklers. Um, I'm sorry you didn't understand the situation. And this is where we really bring in love, connection, and making amends, right? Uh, don't underestimate the um, the power of affection, right? We know oxytocin is released with physical touch. And right in those moments with relate, we want to be seen. We want to be acknowledged. We want the other person to acknowledge, you know, that that was upsetting or that, you know, that this is a difficult thing to cope with. And being able to acknowledge that does not make um, your loved one weak. It just acknowledges the stressor that they're facing and it actually helps to make them more resilient. So you don't need to be stingy with your love and care in those moments. And then finally, right? Like once we're, once we um, are a little more regulated and we've been able to relate and receive comfort, some comfort, we could maybe find a path to reason, even with a two-year-old, right? So what do we want to do when this kind of situation comes up again, right? So if we're in a situation, you don't understand it, what could we do? Like, is there a little bit of, like, is there a little question or a little hand signal that you could make? Um, one of the things that we did with one of our kiddos who was pretty prone to tantrums um, when the child was younger is we came up with some specific cueing. Like we had just a little, um, a little saying from one of um, the TV shows that this kiddo liked. And when we could see that this kid's temperature was raising, right, like moving into tantrum mode, we would very gently, you know, kind of neutral voice, use this cue to help this child build a little more awareness of what was happening inside, um, inside this kiddo's body. And it really was powerful because it helped to create um, an intervention before there was 
was a full meltdown, right? Before this kiddo lost any power to reason or to relate. And so some simple cueing or another skill of like, we're just going to hold hands when we don't understand each other. And we're going to take a few minutes to just, you know, calm down and really consider the, the situation at hand. It really can act as a reset to help with regulation and then of course relating and being able to reason. And so, you know, a common mistake, I think I mentioned this when we are when we are the loved one is we move to reason too quickly, right? We say it's not a big deal, you'll be fine, move on because to you it might not be a big deal. To you you might have perspective. To you you might see the path ahead. But you've got to remember when your loved one is in the middle of a significant stressor, right? One of the features of that is that we lose perspective and coming in when they're dysregulated and trying to give them that perspective is less helpful. There's a time for it for sure, but that's not the time. Instead, right? So so what happens when you come into reason too quickly is you are you're misaligned with where your loved one is at. You're missing where they're at. And oftentimes what I see with folks is that reasoning, we move to reasoning because the emotion is uncomfortable for us, right? We don't like to see our loved ones suffer. We don't like to see our loved one in pain. And yet we try and move to reason too quickly and we leave our loved one behind and leave them alone in their pain where they feel more alone, uh, more misunderstood. And so it's really important as a loved one to meet your loved one where they are at, right? So if it's like, okay, let's take a few minutes to calm down together, right? Don't ever tell your loved one to calm down. That will also backfire on you. <laughs> but let's work together for soothing and um, connection. And then, you know, you need to trust that there will be a time for relating and reasoning, but regulation needs to happen first. So, you know, it wasn't too long ago, actually, you know, was it had, you know, some challenging news. Um, and I was right. Like I was really upset about it. And I reached out to my guy friend and he's great. He's so, so great. Um, but he also like jumped to reason pretty quickly. Right. And we, we met up for lunch a little while after that. And, um, it was good, right? Cause we were able to relate and spend that time together. And as I was, you know, trying to kind of give voice to some of my concern, one of the things I said is, I, I said, I think what I really needed was a hug in that moment, right? And he's like, oh, like I can totally do that. Like I didn't need him to problem solve. I didn't need him to bring perspective. And in fact, you know, the the problem solving that he was recommending, like I had already taken those steps. So it, you know, often it's not that we need answers from other people. We need connection. We need them to acknowledge the pain um, and the difficulty of our situation. And so even having loving, right? Loving conversations about that in terms of like what you you need as you develop more awareness can really help your loved ones. So they're not scrambling in the dark, you know, trying to be helpful, but unwittingly maybe, you know, miss misaligning with you. And so um, again, it's important to remember that there's an order to those three R's, right? First is regulation. Uh, so regulate, second is relate, and third is reason. So I hope this really helps you um, to understand the three R's and 
your pattern of stress activation. And I hope you will join me next week because we're going to do a deep dive into the three R's and we're going to provide examples um, of each of the three R's to really help you match up your stress coping to your specific needs. So um, I'm going to have lots of examples for you then. In the meantime, meantime, head on over to my website to check out the show notes with all the resources for this episode at www.drmelissasmith.com forward slash 175 dash brain body connection. One more time, that's www.drmelissasmith.com forward slash 175 dash brain body connection. I'd love to hear from you on Instagram um, at dr.melissasmith. I have lots of additional resources from each of the podcasts, and I'd love to hear what you think um, of what you're hearing. So in the meantime, I'm Dr. Melissa Smith. Remember, love and work, work and love, that's all there is. Until next time, take good care. Good care.